Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting Podcast. Visit our website at www.oalaig.org where you'll find three separate speaker feeds with over 300 speaker files. Links for you to subscribe to the podcast and a place where you can donate to keep the special service active. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Jonathan. My name's Jonathan. I'm a compulsive overeater. It's good to be here uh, tonight. I want to thank Martha for asking me. It's an honor and privilege to be of service in this uh, program in any capacity. And uh, I'm grateful to be uh, absent and alive and above ground. It's always a good deal. Um, I uh, came out of kind of a kind of a problem home, I guess. My mother had a nervous breakdown a year after I was born. I don't know if I caused that or not, but uh, <laughs> certainly attributed to some problems. I, n- I never caused her too much happiness for many years, that's for sure. And um, my brother, is, uh, Ron, was born a year after me, and, uh, and my brother Richard is born 10 years later. And uh, my uh, mom never really quite recovered from that condition. Uh, she was always pretty much mentally imbalanced. Some days she'd be as lucid as, as could be, and the next day she'd be like, you know, uh, like on another planet. And I was very embarrassed about that, and I used to say to people that she was drunk because it was more comfortable for me to say that than it was to say that, you know, she was had crossed over the edge. Uh, so needless to say, uh, when I came to the program, I really understood the word insanity at a level that uh, I don't know how many other people do, but, you know, losing it a little bit is one thing when you're gone permanently and you come back from time to time it's a difficult thing to grow up with and uh, you know and I was aware of that and uh, my father is a very strong disciplinarian a very uh, no-nonsense kind of guy a World War II vet and uh, and uh, you know one time he was taking my mom to the hospital again to have her committed yet one more time and I'd run away from home and and he had to go I'd run away to these oil fields and he took me he found me across the street there and was terrified to begin with because of what he was doing with my mom and he beat the crap out of me and I literally uh, crapped on myself. I was six years old, and so my, I learned young not to uh, mess with my father. And uh, I remember seeing a Sal Mineo movie many years ago where he was talking to his father, and his father was slapping him in the face, and, and he said, I can take it, Papa, so you can't hurt me. And his blood coming down his, his face, and, uh, and, uh, and I remembered that, and his name was Dino in the movie, I remember that, and I remember saying to my dad, and when my dad and I were having an argument one time, and I said, hit me, hit me, hit me, and it hurt so much more in real life than it did in the movie. But, uh, so I, I, I learned to be sneaky, and I was a liar and, and a thief, and I was lying and stealing at five years old, and uh, kids were, you know, parents were telling me not to play with me when I was a young kid, because I was that kid who was always in trouble. And uh, when we moved, my, we moved like every three or four years, my dad would do well in the commodities market. We'd move to a bigger house, and when he'd fall out from that, we'd move to a smaller house. And he had a, a, an accounting practice that kept us going pretty well. And I was known the kid as known the neighbor as a kid with the ice pick, because I'd go around throwing this ice pick up in, in the, your front lawn with your kids standing around. You know, I was just just a crazy wild kid, uh, not a physically violent kid with. with other guys unless I thought I could take you and then I was physically violent and um, and I lied a lot and, uh, and and was cowardly in a lot of things I did and was stealing and getting in a lot of trouble uh, smoking cigarettes at seven drinking uh, started turning I'm Jewish and got turned on to Manischewitz wine at uh, nine years old and I remember drinking a quarter three quarts of that bottle of wine and uh, 
and uh, and I started sneaking out of my parents' cabinets, and um, I came natural to take the vodka out of the cabinets and replace it with water. I didn't have to go to school for that. I just learned that naturally. And I was always a sneaky little thief, and um, and I knew how to press my mom's buttons. I would do things to say things that would make her crazy and just go beyond that, and I just seemed to get a thrill out of hurting her and other people. And uh, and she was a very beautiful woman, uh, like Elizabeth Taylor-like, uh, but what my image of women that I grew up with, because she walked in my father's footsteps, was that uh, if you were pretty, it meant you were, um, you know, um, not very intelligent, you know, because I mistook her mental problems for stupidity. And, and and if you were nice, that meant you were weak, and that was my image of women. And uh, and I took that uh, into throughout my whole life for many, many years. And... Um, I grew up with a lot of the other prejudices a lot of people have, but uh, whatever they would be, prejudice in, in education, prejudice in people of color, uh, you know, because my best friend was Mexican, I didn't have a lot of prejudice in that way, uh, but, but uh, you know, my parents were from, my father was from the South, so there was a lot of prejudice in that area. And, um, you know, uh, long story short, I got into, uh, I was always overeating for maybe five, six years old, and uh, I remember uh, talking with a friend of mine, uh, a couple of years ago when I first started abstaining, about a year and seven months ago, I guess it was a few months into my abstinence, and, uh, and and he said, well, how long did you drink? And I said, well, I drank from like nine to almost 19. And he said, well, how long did you overeat? And I said, well, I was overeating compulsively from like five to almost like 56 years old. And he said, well, it's going to take you a lot, lot longer to get over that obsession with the food because it took him like five years before he could stop obsessing over the food and wanting to eat all the time. And, uh, you know, I, I got into alcohol and drugs a lot, and I, I really was very destructive with it. And I was very destructive with the food. I can remember when I was like nine or ten years old, just stuffing pancakes down me and getting into my friend's van. My friend uh, Bobby was three years younger than me, and I was so sick from overeating all this food, but I got in a big fight with my grandfather because he was the only one who called me on my BS. And... Uh, and uh, I remember throwing up all over the van. Just And I wasn't from alcohol or drugs. It was just from overeating, stuffing all these pancakes down me and just eating and eating and eating. And I would eat that way to get the feelings down. You know, because I had all the fear going inside. The fear of what was going to happen with my mother and my father. The fear of the relationships. The fear of, you know, my mother and being embarrassed by her as well as was she going to get locked up again. The fear of getting caught for all the stealing I was doing. You know, the fear of was I going to get beat up by the guys who I intimidated and got in trouble with and, you know, mouthed off to. And, you know, I grew up with a ton of fear and, 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 uh, and, and I was pretty much a nasty kid. And, uh, and I could stuff all those feelings down with the food. And, um, and as I said, I got in the, in the, in the I said I never smoked grass. I got into smoking grass at 12 years old. And, uh, you know, from 12 to 15 and a half, I got more into the alcohol and drugs and, and, in between, and always eating, you know, always I'd go out and drink and, have those those pepperoni pizzas and the sandwiches and and stuffing, but you know I was pretty athletic too, so I, I didn't go up to like three and four hundred pounds because I could burn it off a lot, and um, and I'd gain the weight and lose the weight, gain the weight and lose the weight. And sometimes I get into depending on what kind of drugs I got into, they they could be set to such that I wouldn't necessarily gain weight because I'd be more caught up in getting loaded on on those types of drugs. And, uh, you know, I, I uh, from 15 to 16 and a half, I was drinking, you know, three, four times a week during the summer back then in the 60s and, uh, and got into drugs a lot more and flipped out of my mind twice on hallucinogenic drugs and, um, and uh, got arrested for possession. And um, from 16 to almost 19 years old, I started trying to stay sober on my own and tried to find a different way of life. And I, you know, I, I 
tried to go into group therapy. I went into group therapy from a probation department because I was forced to, and then I really didn't buy that. But then I went into group therapy with my high school, which was University High School, which is actually not far from here. And because uh, uh, I pretty much grew up in, in Westwood and the Palisades and, and you know, and uh, Air, Chevy Hills, all these areas around here. And, um, and I can remember uh, always feeling uh, apart from and, and not being able to fit in and you know the the food would make me not care about that, and the alcohol and drugs i could I could do that and not care about that. And alcohol would make me fit in and uh, I was just a crazy, wild kid, and from sixteen to almost sixteen after nineteen I, I tried all these different things. I tried going and uh, reading psycho cybernetics I tried going you know I was fully bar mitzvah at thirteen, and here I was I was on the sunset strip last time I line my mind one night, and the Jesus freaks. Met me, you know, no, nothing against born again Christians, but I turned into G, uh, born again Christian that night, and uh, believe me, I was probably peaking on on hallucinogenic drugs. My thought was coming to Jesus, but um, that's what I was doing, and uh, I spent the next six to nine months trying to figure out if I was Jewish or Christian, and. Uh, then, uh, you know, I find a friend of mine I was drinking with uh, took me to, you know, I asked him what he was doing. He said he was going to an AA meeting. I, and it was just one more thing I was going to try. I tried all these other things and uh, tried karate for a year, going crazy on that seven days a week. And, you know, I never could get out of fear, but I, I was, you know, I couldn't fight my way out of a paper bag now. But, uh, you know, back then I was doing okay. But um, so he took me to an AA meeting, and I, and I didn't identify as an alcoholic, but uh, I kind of heard about this thing called OA. Uh, and I started going to OA meetings. I was all, like, almost I was like almost 19 years old, and that was about you know I'm 58 now, so we're talking like you know whatever like uh, like like 40 years ago almost, and uh, be like 39 years ago. And um, you know I was in OA for about four months, and I really I couldn't get what you guys were saying to me at all. There was nothing you could say that made any sense at all. And I had this OA sponsor who was trying to help me, but he could not get through to me at all. And uh, and but I could see I was that I had a problem with the alcohol and drugs, and I took the twenty questions and I got six yes. It's called Are you an alcoholic? And three yes. Supposedly you're an alcoholic. It's written by John Hopkins University, and I figured six yes. Who the hell is John Hopkins anyway? So <laughs> I rationalized my way out of that one for a while. My, my brother Richard actually works for them. He actually teaches there. Um, he's quite brilliant. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I, I didn't really believe it, but I was afraid after about a month I was going to go out and start drinking and using again. And, uh, you know, so I started staying sober. And, uh, and after three months of sobriety, I took that uh, 20 questions again per my sponsor's direction, and the six yes went to 12 yes with respect to alcohol only. And he said, well, did you include the drugs? And I said, well, no. And he said, well, include those two. And I don't know if that's right or wrong for AA, but I did that, and then I had 17 out of 20 yes. Jesus Christ. So I, I, you know, I, I fell in, in, in this group called the Pacific Group, a very super active, involved group, made up of a, of a bunch of people that, uh, who couldn't stay sober anywhere else in AA because their leader, Clancy, couldn't stay sober anywhere. And somehow he had gotten sober after nearly 10 years of slipping in and out of the program. And, and he, after five years sober, he started forming this group of people. And, and if people couldn't get sober anywhere else in AA, they would go to the Pacific Group. And, and to this day, the group's in Brentwood. It's a great meeting. It's very big. 
Um, but to this day, there's probably about a fourth or a third of it of people like me that wouldn't be able to stay sober anywhere else except that kind of group because people like me need that kind of action. I'm, I'm the kind of person that needs uh, a lot of structure and, and, and to be told what to do. And I'm the kind of person who will rationalize and justify everything to get my way. And after five years of sobriety, I'd taken a four, I'd been to the steps and, um, you know, however little I could work the eighth and ninth step, I did what I could. I did a major fourth and fifth step. My sponsor, Tom H., had, had moved away at three and a half years sober and, um, and so I, I had to get Don in for a part-time sponsor because he said I couldn't have a sponsor that was 3,000 miles away. Um, uh, and, he, and in my case, he was right. And I asked him to be my sponsor at four years, and uh, he became my sponsor. And I had to do another major fourth and fifth step with him and writing all about those fears and resentments and sex problems and everything else. And at five years uh, sober, I, I, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd been in the Santa Monica track club. I'd lost my weight. I used to run up and down San Vicente, but I was starting to gain it back again. So I said, all right, I'll give OA a try again. So at five years sober, I started going back to OA. And, and I became active in OA and, and very involved in it. And I became like this, you know, back, back then, you know, there was only one OA. There wasn't all the OA How and all these other different OA programs. There was one program, and they had the gray sheet. And you could, there's other kinds of abstinence, which was pretty much the gray sheet back then. And, um, you know, and I, and I did that. And I lost like 45 pounds in like three months. And, and I remember jogging up and down with my friends in OA. And I became like this OA superstar. And people were asking me to speak and sponsor. I was sponsoring people. But, you know, I got that big head, you know. I, I figured, you know, five years sober and five months absent, I knew it all. And, uh, you know, I knew my way back out those doors because I knew so much. And, um you know, I, I met a beautiful woman in OA. She had, had been in OA in New York, and her name was Audrey. She was two years abstinent and, and had lost like 150 pounds in New York OA. And uh, and she and I were both slipping in OA. And, you know, she didn't take her program with her out here, and her best friend Shirley uh, was out here. But, but Audrey and I both started slipping off this program together. And, uh, and we had met that way, ironically, at Juniors. And uh, <laughs> after the OA meeting, we used to go out to eat after all the OA meetings then we'd, we'd eat meals and we were still staying and, uh, and we had a good relationship for about two years and uh, and I was still active in the AA program I'd become very active in AA um, but you know up to five years sober I, I really uh, was practicing these principles and really none of my affairs I was Mr. AA in the walls and not AA outside I, I do my jobs my way I'm not perfect today uh, relationships with people was everything my way or the highway and I was very um, I just couldn't get the concept of practicing these principles in all of my affairs I just I couldn't get that at all I mean what the, I just didn't my sponsor Don and he tried to beat it into me with a brick but he just it just nothing would sink through a thick head of mine and at five to ten years sober I, I went back to school full time I gained back my all my weight in a matter of six months or a year after I went off uh, my abstinence and uh, you know at, at ten years sober uh I started reactivating the program thanks to my sponsor kicking my butt, and and uh, and my life got good. And from ten to twenty years, so, seven years sober, I reactivated myself in the Pacific Group. And uh, and at twenty-seven years sober, I had been fairly active, even going to the yard once a month, one week in a month, because the other weeks I had family and kids, and my, my sponsor made me go to the yard once a month. And, and I had many commitments in that group, and um, many commitments outside of it. And uh, but at twenty-seven years sober, my uh, I had four kids, four beautiful kids I have this day. But my wife got cancer, and then I had to uh, shift the activity of my program into that household, which I'd never done before because we'd moved to Santa Clarita, so I, I'd work out in Woodland Hills, or Gura Hills, Woodland Hills, wherever it was, and then I would go to my meetings out here, and I really was not um, 
you know, uh, I really wasn't that uh, involved with my family except on the weekends. I was a great father on the weekend, and I, but coming home late at night, I really wasn't there for those kids like I really needed to be. And that was okay. We had, my wife was had a traditional relationship. I could have been a better father, and I should have been. But uh, she was a very solid woman, the greatest mother you could ever ask for, and very active in the community. And after five years, that cancer, you know, through all the battles, ate her down, and, uh, you know, she died from it. And I became a single parent, and, and my weight, of course, went up, and I was up in the 240s. I'm only 5'4 now. It'd be 5'5, five five, I'd shrunk from me working in those cubicles, but, you know. <laughs> so I was like 90 pounds overweight, you know, and, um, you know, that's a lot of weight to carry when you're, when you're a small guy like me. And, um, you know, and I, uh, but after a while, uh, one of my friends, a guy I used to sponsor, I wanted me to give him a cake at the at the Friday night men's stag meeting, and I hadn't been in the men's stag for maybe 30 years. I used to go every Friday for about eight years, and uh, you know when we got to dinner after after the men's stag, and this guy Michael B, uh, he was there at dinner with me, and after three or four weeks going to dinner with him, I noticed he was always healthy. I said, Michael, you're eating so healthy, and uh, what are you doing? And, and he started telling me what he was doing. He was doing OA, and I'd met Michael after he slipped and came back because uh, he'd been in and out, you know, and, and he'd slipped. I met him at, and we hung out at the San Diego International Convention about 20 plus years ago with my first AA sponsor, and, and I think it was his wife. And um, so I knew Michael over the years, and uh, and you know I just was so done and beat up from from all the reading, and and I think you know like I said I'd done two major fourth and fifth steps in this program and a number of many fourth and fifth steps and, and done a number of tenth steps and been very active and very in service. But, you know, uh, and I don't like to admit it, but, but when, there would be times in my sobriety where I'd want to drink and sometimes if, if I wanted to drink really bad and, and it would come out of nowhere, I could always eat that food. I mean, that food was always there. And, I, and I'm not knocking the AA program. I love Alcoholics Anonymous. Alcoholics Anonymous saved my life. But... Um, you know, when you have that thing that you can always go back to, and for someone like me who always looks for the easier, softer way, which I do uh, to this day, I mean, I gotta, that's, that's why I have strong sponsorship, and to have my sponsors call me on my BS constantly, up until including today. Uh, and, uh, and, uh, but, you know, I, I was walking that parking lot with Michael, and we had been talking, he'd been 12 stepping me that night, and uh, I said, Michael, can I just start calling my food into you? And then after a week, I asked him if he'd be my sponsor. He said, well, I thought I, thought I was your sponsor. I said, no, I didn't ask you yet. But, but I, I had learned from my first sponsor, Don N., because when he gave me a four-year cake um, for my four-year sober, I thanked him from the podium for being my sponsor. And after meeting, he said, well, you know, you, you didn't ask me to be your sponsor. I said, would you be my sponsor? And, uh, and so I did that with uh, Michael. And, and Michael taught me uh, how to work this program. And I remember going to my A sponsor and saying, you know, Don, I'm going to try this thing again. He says, I don't want to hear about it. Until you have one year, don't even come and talk to me. And that's because I've been in and out with this food. I've tried so many diets and so many different programs and so many exercise things. You know, Don N. did not want to hear my BS about my, my food plans at all. And uh, it's not that he didn't have any faith with you. But I was, I was just destroyed by the food. I mean, I was having chest pains in my heart. Uh, Multiple times throughout the day, my, a year and a half before I started abstaining, or about a year before I started abstaining, my, my cholesterol levels were very high, I don't know, 180s or whatever. My sugar levels was in the 180s, they were at diabetic levels. And, uh, you know, four months after I started abstaining, my sugar levels had dropped down in the, I don't know, down to 100 or 108 or something, just way below the normal levels. And my, my blood pressure was, I was in like this pretty high blood pressure too or whatever. And, and even that, after four months, had dropped. And, 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 and so abstaining started working for me. But, but Michael 
taught me, he said, get a meeting, be committed to it. And he, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. he said, get a meeting, be committed to it. So I started committing to this Monday night meeting. And I went in there and, and I met this woman who I could see right away. You know how you can look at somebody and see right away that they're working a program. This woman was working at this lady. You know, she's married and everything else. It wasn't like I was attracted to her or anything like that. But she was an attraction from the standpoint that she was a woman who was working the program. And so I, I, and I could see she was active. And I, start, and I asked her for a commitment. She was the secretary of that meeting. And, and Michael told me, you know, he told me something. He said, learn to respect the OA program the way you respect your AA program. And I thought, what a concept, you know? Because I'd always blown off OA all, these, all, all my life. I always thought, well, my primary disease is alcoholism, so I'll just do, I'll just do this OA thing just, just enough to get by. You know, I don't want to really commit, God forbid. But, you know, I was so beat up and done. I was just willing to do anything. And, and, and you know, and, and I hope nobody has to wait, you know, 32 years to come back. You know, it was a long time. But uh, it takes what it takes. And, that, and that's my story, you know. Um, I, you know, I know that if I go back out these doors, I don't have another 32 years to come back again. I know that. I was knocking on death's door. And, uh, you know, I was a little afraid that, you know, if I gave up all my compulsive eating, you know, you know that, you know, what if I wanted to drink and then I drank again. But I was so, I was to that point that I was so done and so beat up by this disease. And it's such an incredibly insidious disease. You know, you know when you're drinking and laying in your vomit and, and you're going to jail or whatever, it's pretty obvious. But, but, but. <laughs> But the food sneaks up on you slowly but surely. And, and, and I, you know, my sponsor's a baby. He had his legs cut off from disease. I knew another guy. I saw him get his legs cut off. I, my great uncle uh, had his, you know, he went lost, a, I don't know, I, I guess he lost a big toe and went blind before he died of diabetes. And there was diabetes in my family. And so I knew. But there was not enough fear there until, until that fear was inside me. I needed that fear to, to motivate me to get off my butt. And, and it did that. And, uh, and so I started following Michael's B direction. He had me call him seven days a week and, and, and calling his food, calling my food. And I said, well, how long have you been calling your food? He said, well, for 21 years now, or 20 years at that time. And I thought to myself, well, that, if that SOB can call in his food every day, I'm going to call in my food too. And so I started calling my food to him. And he said, now, the deal is you call in your three meals a day and, you know, you know like a snack or whatever. And then you, um, if you change your food, you know, you call before you do it. And, you, and then we do a fifth step on your food every day. And so I started doing that. And, and, you know, I said, well, why don't you call me about this? Or why don't you call me about that? Or you didn't commit to that. And it was really, really hard to do that fifth step with the food. And I still got to do that with him today. And I'm still not perfect today. I, but I learned that with the food that I didn't have to, you know, say, oh, you know, gee, I'm, I'm a little imperfect. I had a little too much bread or a little too much fruit. Or this. Oh, screw it. F it. I'm just going to just eat all I want. I learned that I couldn't do that anymore. And so, you know, I'm not in OA how. And, 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 and I'm not knocking OA how at all. I'm not. My good friend Don B, who was my first OA sponsor, uh, he's still absent in OA how to this day. He's like 25 years absent and 44 years sober. But uh, And I can remember saying to Don B, before I went out uh, last time, uh, uh, I remember trying to commit to him to Skippy peanut butter. And he said, well, Jonathan, I, I think Skippy peanut butter is really not on my absence. But, you know, I wanted to do it my way. I wanted, you know, and so I said, screw you, and, and I went back out. So with Michael B., I learned to do what he told me to do, and I got commitments to meeting, and, I, and I, you know, to this day, I, I have a regular commitment on Saturday morning. I'm their delegate there, and Monday, uh, I'm, I'm like the co-literature person, and every third Monday, I go to the delegates meeting out in um, the valley there at the Darby office. 
and I, and I make those meetings regularly. Uh, sometimes I don't make the weekends because of stuff with my kids or whatever. And, and sometimes I, I'm away, but I try to get to an o, these OA meetings regularly. I go to my AA meetings regularly this day. I've got commitments in both programs. And uh, so I'm going to a lot of meetings. And you've and you, you got to wonder, you know, how's a guy who's a single parent who's, who's, who's white? You know, I had to take over. My, my girls My girls were, uh, my wife had cancer, were 6, 11, and uh, 16. My son was 17. When my wife died, my girls were... Uh, 11, 16, and, and uh, 21. My son was 22, and and there, and it was very difficult in that house. But I, but you know, and, and when I started abstaining from this disease, uh, you know, a couple of them had moved out. At least one had moved out, I guess, my my oldest daughter. But uh, I still had all those kids, and I still was taking care of my youngest daughter. But I had to put this program first because I'm not going to be of service to my kids if I'm dead. You know, it's kind of hard. Nobody asks you to do anything when you're below ground. You know, they don't come knocking on your on your on your stone saying, "Are you available for a chat?" You know. So for me, uh, for better or for worse, it had to become a life and death thing. And 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 to me, this is a life and death disease. And um, and and I had to learn to uh, you know try to. Um, take this program outside there and um, you know I think out of all evil a little good must come and uh, before I uh, started abstaining and when my wife was really sick uh, a lot of these women were coming by she was very active in the community extremely and there were many many people that came by to to help her but uh, there was like six or eight women that came by every day and, and there was something that about watching those women rubbing her legs and her back and taking care of her, it finally melted that that icy steel prejudice that I had against women, that 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 sick thinking that I had going on, and that warped thinking about what women were. And you know, I hope it doesn't take any of the other guys that long, but that's my story, and that's what happened. And and you know, again, God did for me what I could not do for myself. And when I started abstaining, God did for me what I could not do for myself. And you know, Michael gave me the food prayer. You know, and he told me how to take God into every single meal I do. And, says, and prayer goes, thank. Thank you, God, for his food. Please let it be enough. And sometimes I have to say it many times when I'm done eating. Say thank you, God, for the food. And I got to do that every meal. And you know, he started going. He started having me go through the unofficial guide of the uh, 12 steps written by Dr. Paul, who was a former member of AA uh, before he passed away. And uh, a member of AA sober till he died. And so I started doing it. And basically, all it was was just going through the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous and um, reading each each of the chapters and trying to work the steps again. And, uh, you know, my sponsor told me not to write another fourth and fifth step because I'd done so many. He didn't want me to redo that. And he didn't have to do that. And I didn't do that. So I didn't rewrite another whole fourth and fifth. And I think there's a lot to be said for not overly doing this. I don't know if that's right or wrong. I said, Michael, you sure I don't need to do that again? He said, you did that already. And, and he had gone through the same thing with plants and everybody else. And he was abstaining. So that's my story. I th- but uh, so I thought I was off the writing hook. And then we had, had to keep going through the rest of the steps. And we got to... The step ten. That's where he introduced the writing again with me, and uh, and uh, you know to do a written ten step. And so I started doing that. And 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 there's a couple ways you can do it in the big book. We and and uh, he started me having doing this A E I O U thing. And uh, you know A for abstinence, E for did ex- exercise, I what I do for me, O what I do for somebody else, and you uh, uncovering you know the resentments against others or fears or or uh, uh, resentments against me. And, 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 you know, I put it in a little computer, put it in the computer eventually. And to, so I do, I try to do that pretty much every day, and I got to read it to him every day. And so I'm, I'm doing back to writing again, too. And, uh, you know, uh, I try to take this program, everything I do, I try to talk to newcomers. You know, it says in our 12-step, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we try to carry this message and the practice these principles in all our affairs. And little by little, one day at a time, I'm trying to do that. Uh, it took a long time to get that message. 
Um, but, uh, you know, so I try to do that. I try to give the OA newcomers my phone number just like I do in AA meetings. I, you know, I try to, you know, I'm supposed to make three outreach calls. You know, I don't do that all the time, but I try to make those outreach calls. And my OA sponsor is away in Yosemite, so I was calling somebody else to call my food in. And uh, and my three gratefuls and a Yahoo and all that stuff. And uh, he has me doing every day. And uh, I read the literature continually still. And, uh, you know, uh, and... Uh, my life is getting better. Uh, my my life is, is better at work. Um, it's not perfect. There's a lot of things I'm still growing and learning how to do. How to how not to be a perfectionist, and you know, which is basically my fear about you seeing me make a mistake, and, and also being hung up on one little thing and procrastinating. And uh, you know, I, I had to learn how to take this program into the workplace, uh, which I did before I started abstaining of about a year or two. But I'm going to share this anyway, and because it, it it paid off well, that I finally had to say, you know, I've been doing this job for many, many years, and um, there's other people that need the help besides me. And I finally said, you know, because I used to go through all this fear when my boss would ask me for something, and uh, like, God, I got to get done right away. And Nancy needs this, and I'm all. You know, I get all uptight, and finally, and the students come over and say, "Jonathan, can you help me out?" I said, "No, I can't help you out because I, I, I got to get this for Nancy right away. I'll get right back to you." And 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 you know, I went, or maybe I would, or give some person a half measures type help. And I finally just said, "Screw it! I'm going to help that person, whoever it is, to ask me and give them everything I got, no matter what." And and after about a year or two of doing that, all of a sudden she called me in her office and said, "Well, we're going to promote you." He says, "You're not a whole lot faster than you used to be, but you've been helping out people uh, more th- more than anybody than I've ever seen anybody do." He says, you're helping out people, in fact, more than anybody else around here. And, you know, it was just, to me, it was just uh, an attestation of taking this program and trying to practice these principles in all my affairs and trying to put other people's needs ahead of mine. And I've been trying to do that. And, and I'm not perfect at that. I have a hard time with that. I try to, when I get home, you know, I'm tired and maybe I want to eat and watch my TV program and my kid's there and they want to talk to me. And I try to turn, you know, when they go to talk to me, I turn that stupid idiot box off. You know, I turn on mute so I can give them their time instead of it being about me. And uh, and I think that's the essence of the program. You know, I think I think you know a lot of times there, there's conflict inside myself as to what is the right thing to do. But if I put you first and me second, then I'm going to come up with that right thing every single time. But if I don't, you know, then I'm having conflict. And you know, and I got an AA sponsor to this day. Don ends with my AA sponsor for 35 years, and. Uh, and, and Michael B. has been my OA sponsor, and, and I make sure not to ever try to play one against the other, because usually, as the saying goes, the, one, the man with one watch knows the time it is, the man with two never does. So i got to be very careful about that. But at the same token, I could not abstain in AA meetings, because I need people who really identify with the food, who, who know what this food, how deadly this is, and, and, you know, because I was eating suicidally. I mean, I don't want to make myself sound like I'm worse than anybody else in the room, but I was a suicidal death eater. I was eating to die, and, I mean, I was eating thousands of calories a day. I mean, I can remember the Halloween before I got here. I don't know how much candy I was de- devouring, but, you know, I was, like, passing on from it, and then I, you know, my head would clear up. I'd go to my AA meeting and act like, I try to act like it was normal, but, but I knew something was wrong. And uh, but thank God to you people, I I was given yet my one thousand second chance again, and uh, my life was very good because of this program. And I feel very blessed to be here, and uh, you know I, I guess uh, I could talk a lot more, but you know maybe I'll open it up to some questions and answers. And now I'll share a little bit more, so I want to give up my time early, give some time to go home and think about themselves. But thank you for letting me have. Yes. Okay, what I do every morning is I get up. 
Oh, okay. Yeah. The question is, what do you do to surrender more? Not what do you do to, to completely surrender? Because if, if it, it's an A or B part question, and the A part, I just got over to destroyed by disease. You know, I, I hope. You know, in sobriety, uh, I came in. I was, I'd get, I dropped out of school. I was sleeping 12 to 14 hours a day. Alcohol and drugs had destroyed my life, and I had given up every friend I had, even my best drinking, drug-using buddy didn't want to be with me. And uh, so somehow I was pretty well destroyed when I got here from the alcohol and drugs. Um, and yet, A had opened some doors for me. And with the food, I, I had, again, had to be totally destroyed again. But the B part of your question is what I do to continue to surrender is I get on my knees. And sometimes I get on my knees at work if i got to go in that handicap stall because it's bigger there to get on my knees and pray to God to ask Him to help me through the situation. I do what i got to do. But my surrender, I think, comes from, you know, there's a saying, and, and Clancy says it all the time, you can't think your way into right action, but you can act your way into right thinking. And I think, you know, this in over years now, this is the same thing for me. I've got to take those actions, and I've got to not debate with my sponsor. And with Michael, I can tell what I'm debating, because he'll hang up on me, or, or I can hear him getting pissed off at me, and I said, oh man, am I fighting? And he says, yeah, you are. And I just learned to shut up and follow direction, and do what he tells me to do. You know? So, you know, I learned, you know, this, you know, over years anonymous, like Alcoholics Anonymous, is not a debating society. And as far as surrender goes, I mean, I just need to just shut up and do what I'm told and not analyze it or think about how it's going to work. It's not a pro- program about why it works. It's a program about how it works. And that's, you know, in the title of our chapter five. And so I get on my knee- knees every morning in front of a toilet. and That's what I do. I was told to do that when I was four months sober. And Jews don't pray on their knees, but I was told to do that. Uh, my first uh, friend, uh, uh, he's a couple years longer sober than me, he's still sober as day, Kobe D. And I told him, he said, you get on your knees today? I said, no. He said, why? I said, well, I'm Jewish and Jews don't pray on your knees. Kept, you know, once a year we prostrate ourselves. He said, that's BS. You get on your knees every damn day. Your ego's too big. And you get on your knees to a toilet. It's like you used to do when you puke. And, uh, and that's, of course, if I made it to the toilet, which a lot of times I didn't. Um, but, uh, and I've been getting on my knees every day like that. And I thank God for another day of sobriety, another day without cigarettes, another day without uh, compulsory, another day of abstinence. And, uh, and I ask him to manage my life and restore me to sanity. I do a third step prayer that's in the big book. I think it's on page 76 or something. And uh, and I try to do uh, Keith Carpenter's uh, third step prayer. Uh, God, please help me accept the seemingly bad along with seemingly good as necessary for my growth. And uh, and my sponsor has a prayer, uh, which I've heard other people say, it says, God, please help me accept whatever comes my way as your will for me this day. And when I say that prayer, then I realize, well, maybe the car troubles or this or that, you know, it may not be what I want, but it's, well, it's, it's the way things are happening. A, norm, a guy named Norm Alpha used to say, you know, things are going to happen more or less the way they're supposed to anyway, you know, however, however that's supposed to be. That's, I'm paraphrasing him. You know, that God's will is going to be carried out either way. You know, I mean, recently I had a problem with, with my one, you know, when my wife died, I gave the van, not totally, but, I, you know, some my car, but I gave it to my middle daughter to drive. And I've got had my car, and recently the transmission on the van went out, and I had to get it fixed. I had to borrow money to get it done, and and I got it fixed. And about two weeks after that 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 got fixed, the transmission on my car went out, and my my middle daughter and I, my car was not able to be fixed. It was just too old, and and so my middle daughter, she was at UCLA, so she's working, she's over there, so she really didn't need the car. So I I took the car, and and you know I just had to surrender the fact that until I get certain financing in order and get things done, this is how it is, and. I'm not trying to screw her over or anything, but I, and I try to get the car back to her as quickly as possible. Like, like if I had my way, I'd rather just go 
probably the way like me and I after this meeting. But she, if she wants that car tonight, I'm going to get her home to, to, to give it to her because, you know, I have it all week long. Give her a break. Surrender comes through thinking of others. Surrender comes through my getting on my knees. And I do step six and seven in the morning. I, I try to do the ten step the night before, but if I don't, you know, God bless you, sleep better with it. Then I try to do that written test step, and I go to 11th step, and and I learn to do from another member. I keep my phone on in the morning, and my babies call me, and, you know, I'm sponsored in AANOA, and I sponsor people on both programs. And I think the surrender comes from action. I think the surrender comes being willing to do what I'm asked to do in, in OA or AA without without question, you know, unless it's a conflict with, with something in my schedule. You know, I can't go speaking in the middle of the day because I'm at work. But, you know, if there's a, if somebody asks me to participate, I try to do it. You know, they need, there's other people that do a lot of other commitments in the OA meetings. Why can't Jonathan step up to the plate and do his share? Why does it all have to be on Cecilia? You know, she was doing, this woman was doing everything. I said, you know what, that's just, that, that's just bull. It's time for me to step up and help out too. I mean, so she and I share some commitments and there's other people there. And, you know, that's pretty much it. But I think uh, surrender comes through just doing what, 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 what I'm asked of and not trying to analyze it. So I hope I answered your question. And I think I'm pretty much done. Um, and I guess that's it. And thank you for the honor of